Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer, and this is episode 106. I am very pleased to have the opportunity today of having a good friend of mine join us on the show who currently has a Kickstarter project out there and who has been involved with the gaming industry for uh, several years now with some great games. And I want to welcome Uva Eichert from Academy Games. Uva, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me, Richard. You know, this is kind of fun. We've uh, known each other now several years. We met uh, at Spiel uh, in Essen a couple of years ago. Uh, you were doing your um, fast talking that you normally do of convincing anybody and everybody that uh, you had one of the greatest games out there, and you, and you did very well with Awakening the Bear, right? Was that your first game? That was my very first game we had. It was, uh, I at the time was still working. I had sold one of my businesses and was working for a big multi-billion dollar company and was just leaving them and had a few months spare between that and getting my master's. And I thought, hey, let's put a game out there. Put the game out. It was very successful. And I thought, you know, I really enjoy doing this. Let's just throw everything I've been studying and doing life away and, and concentrate on, on this game publishing business. And I haven't looked back. I love it. And you put out some – one of the things that's known about if, – if, if my listeners aren't familiar with Academy Games, uh, we're talking high-quality art, uh, very stylistic historical art, high-quality components, very uh, high-end components – and your games, if you were to describe Academy Games, how would you describe that for any listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Academy Games? I would, in a nutshell, and you, you, you blindsided me here, though, but <laughs> in right to mind, I would say they're, they're historical, strategical war games that are Eurogamer-centric. Well, that's a, I think that's a, a very accurate. I know that as, as you and I have uh, hooked up over the years at different conventions and I've watched people play your games, you know, I was struck particularly in Spiel, uh, I think last year, as I was standing outside your booth waiting to get you to, to talk to you for a few minutes. There were a ton of people standing around your booth listening to you. I noticed that you had a copy of um, 1812 uh, set up on a table and a couple of uh, women – not. Actually, they were just girls, like teenage girls, sat down and started playing the game, which is stereotypically not your traditional war game demographic. You're right. It's, it's surprising, especially – and that's why we went with the Birth of America series, which is more of a family game. I was surprised the Gognards love it. It's a very strategic, very tough game to play, but so accessible that it's almost like a Walt Disney cartoon movie. A parent can go with their kids. The kids love it because of the action and, and all the bright colors. And the parents can enjoy it because of the subtle jokes and, and, and witty comments that are in it. And this is uh, where we're trying to go with the Birth of America series, that a heavy, heavy strategic wargamer can really get into the games, but that it's so accessible that I can teach it to anybody in two to three minutes. And they play. They have a lot of fun. They're yelling, screaming, rolling dice, and, and having a good time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, and I might even change that analogy. Not necessarily a Disney cartoon, but one of the Pixar-type things. High quality, uh, very professionally made, high-end game, yet still has that access to that uh, different demographic that's traditional. Thank you. And it didn't, it didn't hurt that I was uh, – when I was with Mayfair Games, here we had uh, heavy war games and we were on table 
to the right of me was Pogo the Penguin, and to the left was Nuns on the Run, and right there was Academy Games with the War Games. So it was well, that's true because that's what it was. Mayfair was bringing in one demographic, and they were sitting down and playing your game that didn't necessarily fall in that traditional category. Exactly. Exactly. So now we're here to talk about obviously Kickstarter, and you have this Birth of America series. Uh, you've already come out with one. That was the one I alluded to, right? Eighteen twelve. 1812 Invasion of Canada. And that came out, when did that one come out? That came out January of this year. Okay, and so now uh, Academy Games has made the decision to launch a project on Kickstarter, and that game is 1775 Rebellion, is that what it's referred to as? Yes, sir, and it covers the the rebellion of the American colonies against the the British Empire. All right, so... So Academy Games has now been around for a while. How many games have you, not counting 1775, how many games do you have in your, uh, in your collection there? We have, we have six now, um, and we're coming out with about four more this coming year. So it's, it's slowly, it's beginning, we're getting momentum going. It was very difficult for me coming brand new into an industry where I knew nobody, I knew nothing about the industry. I had one game in my head and a business plan. Now, finally, and and my objective was to do this without employees. I was to the point where I just sold a business with 125 employees, with OSHA, the unions, everything else. Never had any issues with it, but it was something I wasn't looking for at this time. So with this business, I was trying to build it up fully with partners throughout the world where I would let them do their expertise and I would just coordinate it and work on, on new game development and new game um, reviews that were sent into me by other people. And so that means that you basically then were kind of saying, I'm going to fund this thing, and I'm going to go into this thing, and, and I'm going to make this thing work. All that funding coming from your own resources, is that correct? Correct, correct. And luckily the first game brought in enough money that it did give me enough capital in order to fund the next games, etc. That being said, though, I've been in business for years now, and we've been very successful, but I have not drawn any uh, payroll out because all the money goes back into inventory buildup and the company buildup and the asset buildup. So, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that, and this is the question you get, I get, everybody gets, in the, and particularly in the board game industry. Why in the world would an established game company, I'm going to call you established even though you might not consider it at the, still at this stage, but an established game company with a track record of great games, why in the world would they turn to Kickstarter, which, which some claim is simply a creative outlet for people who have kind of one-offs, who just want to throw something out there and build it? How, does that, how do you jive those two... Um, those two contrasting opinions about established versus you know this kind of creative hobbyist. First of all, I think it's it's definitely going to be the Kickstarter and the mass crowdfunding. I think is going to be a paradigm shift in the marketplace. I think this is really going to be a big portion of future sales and market and also product development. I see this as a big bonus going forward. Now, I want to step back a little and give you the reasons why I went through Kickstarter. And there are three reasons. Number one, there's a monetary reason. And myself being a businessman, I always look at it from a monetary 
uh, aspect and where can you get the biggest gain to help the business go forward so that in the future you can create ever better games for the public and the customers. Number two then, there, there the monetary, then there's the marketing aspect, and then the third from a project management. So the first thing I'd like to really discuss is the economics of, of a game. We sell our games through full distribution throughout the world, which means I take my game and through reps sell this game to a distributor. A distributor could be a single distributor in one country or multi-distributors like here in America. Some of the big distributors in America are like Alliance Games, ACD Distribution, um, GHS. I, I don't want to leave anybody out there. Quite a few very, very good distributors. Then these distributors sell them to the stores, and the stores sell them to the end user. So let's say I have a $50 game. The store needs at least 40%, sometimes 45% margin off of the MSRP or manufactured suggested retail in order to make a profit. So a $50 game is only going to sell for, he's going to sell for $30 or he's going to buy it for $30 so that he can sell it for $50 in a store. Then the distributors need their margin and they make a certain margin. And then there's the reps the warehousing and fulfillment people, because I don't want to do this myself either. Again, they specialize in this. It's a commodity segment of the market. Have them do what they do best, and then they can consolidate consolidate my games with other publishers' games to ship to a distributor. So it brings everybody's costs down. When all is said and done, I only receive 34% of the MSRP. So for a $50 game, I have a take of $17. Now, our games, you see, are very hefty. There's a lot to them. And a lot of the Euro-type games, same thing. A cost for a game like this can be anywhere from $8, dollars $10, On top of that, you throw in shipping and freight from either Germany or the Orient to America. You're looking at another $4,000 per container. So I'm looking at $17 income. The cost to print a game, let's say to make numbers round, is $10. That leaves me $7 a game to pay royalties to designers if a designer brought us the game, to pay for all the artwork, the graphic layouts, the marketing costs, to pay the overhead, the electricity, and myriads of things. So that $7 has a lot of demand on it. On top of this, you add then the next thing. I have to buy in order to make this, um, to bring the price down, I have to buy usually anywhere between four and 5,000 copies of a game. So I'm paying right off four, $40,000 to $50,000 up front. And this doesn't even include all the artwork that I had to pay up front. So I'm paying forty dollars to $50,000 up front plus the shipping. Let's say we're looking at $50,000 on average. Then I hope that we sell it quickly. What if it sits in my warehouse for six months or eight months or even a year? 
So that money's tied up up to a year where I'm not getting it back to just get $7 per game. Then let's say I sell this to a distributor and the distributor things are going bad or they can't pay on time or it's happened to me before in the last year they go out of business and then I'm stuck and I don't even get any money for it. So you can see that from a even an established company such as myself, there's a lot of risk involved and you have to look at mass sales. So by going through a Kickstarter, it gives me two things. Number one, it gives us the money up front so our money is not tied up in the inventory. And we can use this money to go towards development of the next two or three games that we have going through at this very stage. Number two, it gives us an idea of what people want. And number three, the most important thing, I'm selling this at a higher price for a very limited amount of games, but this price, this 30000 40000 50000 whatever money you get in for this game is at a higher margin. So instead of getting $7 per game to pay for all the overhead and everything, I may be earning $35 per game. Now I can take this $35 and I can turn it around into free stretch goals for the people who support the Kickstarter. I can take this money and put it into the much-needed advertising for stores. I can send out now free samples to get the pump primed. It's just a phenomenal um, vehicle to catapult a game to a point where you as a company can earn a margin to continue being successful. So there are people out there then who say that you're shifting the risk from you to the consumer by asking all of these people to – put the risk burden of the game coming out, the financial burden, giving you the money so that you can not have to run that risk. What do you say to that? I see that there is risk for certain companies. For an established company like myself, I would say the risk is very minimized for the, for the donating or for the supporter. Because when I, when I see risk, I see I'm going to donate money what is the percentage chance that they're going to take my money and run and not send me my donor gift? For a company such as myself, that is almost zero. I mean, if we're struck by lightning, knock on wood, and I die tomorrow, and every one of my other guys dies in a traffic accident, yeah, that could happen. It's not going to go through. But then I would still... Our, our billing department would still refund the money back, and they're out their percentage that we had to pay Kickstarter and and Google, of course, to process the payments. But other than that, I see there's very, very little risk. Well, so do you uh, – it sounds like then – I know the answer to this. And so it sounds like this idea, this belief by some people who make comments that an established company should assume all of the financial burden to bring a game out um, – you don't, you don't necessarily agree with that. The, the Kickstarter model that says, okay, backers, we'll do this together. I'll run some risk as, as promoters and backers of this project. You'll run some risk and we'll do this together. You think that that actually can work for established companies? Very much because my risk is spending the 50000 for the printing and the tens of thousands for the graphic 
hoping that I can turn this inventory into sales quick enough that I pay off the printing cost so I then can develop the next game. That is my risk. Got it. A donor's standpoint, what is the risk? The risk is I'm paying my money up front and I have to wait a few months till I receive the product. I could just as well pay for the product right when it's released and I have less of a waiting period. And probably I can go through one of these mass discount online stores and maybe even get it cheaper. Now, that brings up one of my other big issues or or challenges in the gaming market where we try to support game stores. That's why you go on our website and you see our games are listed at full retail. We do not undercut. Most established companies do not undercut the store price. Some companies have gone gotten very desperate and say, okay, listen, we're going broke. We can't afford to go through full distribution and sell at store prices. We're going to undercut the stores. And on our website, we're going to offer the games, if you buy from us direct, 30% under retail. For me, I see that that you're cutting off your nose in the long run. You're, you're cutting off your, your core store support. Why do companies have to do this? Because you have the, these mass discounting online stores that get a game in right when it comes out. They can usually buy these games for 40% off or 45% off retail. They make a 5 or 10% margin, get the orders in, turn them around right away. Don't keep anything in stock. They order them right after they got the orders. Turn around quickly, and then the game disappears on their site. Whereas in a store, a game is on the shelf, and it sits there. And people look at it. They peruse. They feel it. They buy it, go to the counter, and that store, 90% of the time, will say, ah, we sold this copy. We're going to order another copy on our next order to the distributor, and it goes back on the shelf. So the longevity and the life of a product is so much longer when you go through full distribution. So I have a game such as 1812, which our sales today are better per month than they were when we came out with it in January. Which is very unusual. Which is unusual, but it shows that the word of mouth is getting out and it's in the stores. People see it. They feel it. It got, got so popular that now... 1775 is being published in German, in French, and in Spanish. I mean, full-blown versions, box in Spanish, the rules, cards, everything. It's not just where the rules are multilingual. I mean, it's full-blown multilingual copies. This would not have been possible if we didn't keep our model through full distribution. So now there's this, this balance happens all of a sudden. Here... I'm trying to sell through Kickstarter, and at the same time, people who know our company know there's very little risk, and they put on their mass discount website, oh, we're going to undercut that price by $15 or $20, buy from us. So that's why I love the model of Kickstarter, because now we can offer to the Kickstarter supporter specials through our stretch goals. We haven't put on our website yet, but we're going to be offering stretch goals where you're going to get a free card holders, which are really cool, specially designed, or the upgraded to wooden um, 
markers which are already on there, uh, control markers that we can offer just to Kickstarter supporters. And this is my first project, and I'm learning very quickly how important these limited offerings are. And that's that's the way we're going to go. But I can tell you right now, we're going to take a lot of flack for this in about three months from the guys who say, oh, we weren't aware of the Kickstarter, we didn't see it, and it's BS that we can't get this because it is it is pertinent to the game, and now I can't get it. I hate your company. I'm never going to order from you again. <laughs> which is the fear that so many people have. Which is, but these are the same guys who ordered through the full full discounters, but they're a very small minority. I found that most fans and most gamers are very generous, and they understand that you get what you pay for. It isn't as if the publishers are getting rich. It's a very tough industry. That's why there's such a churning and turnaround of game publishers. And even my, myself, I'm a very experienced businessman. I have to do projections and cash flow projections on a quarterly basis. And that's how I stay strong because I keep it all within parameters of profitability for the company. Now, all of a sudden with Kickstarter, I can go and say, whoa, because of Kickstarter, we can now make fully molded dice instead of the standard uh, just standard right dice we can come in and add a really nice cool plastic tray instead of a cardboard insert well so uva we're out of time oh my goodness i know and uh what we'll do is we'll have to have you back let's talk let, as i wrap up here first of all thank you for being on the show well thank you very much richard the project that Uva has put out on Kickstarter is doing very well. If you get a chance, go take a look. It is 1775 Rebellion, the Birth of America series. It is on Kickstarter, currently 23 days to go as the recording of this episode, and they have surpassed their goal, and right now KickTrack is estimating that they'll do very well. So, uh, Uva, congratulations on – it is your first Kickstarter project, but congratulations on the success that you've had so far. Thank you so much, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, episode 106. Our guest has been Uwe Eichert, the founder of Academy Games and their Kickstarter project 1775. Hopefully you've heard something that has been inspiring. And uh, whenever I talk to Uwe, I know I'm always inspired. So we want to thank him for joining us. Hopefully uh, we'll see your Kickstarter project out there so that we can help you fund your dream. Thanks for listening. Take care.